What's up, everybody? Welcome back for another video. Today was an amazing Q&A that we had. Uh, episode number 50. I'm proud to say that I did my goal. I hit my goal of 50 episodes of the show, of the Ask Nick show. So thanks for being here. We're really glad. And Duke is really glad, too. He is right here. If you haven't gotten to meet Duke yet, this is Duke the official mascot of our show. So in today's episode, we got a lot of great questions about some uh, different styles of trombone pedagogy and trombone teaching. We talked about uh, Carl Fontana versus JJ Johnson. We talked about uh, learning from different teachers. We talked about a whole slew of things and uh, different kind of ideas about pedagogy, different kind of ideas about um, how to be self-critical, how to be critical of others in a productive way, how to teach a little bit in there. Uh, some good questions from some of our UNT uh, students, and it was just a great episode overall. So uh, I was really glad to have great questions, and they were all, a lot of them were submitted in advance too. So, uh, and so as always, submit those questions in advance down in the comments so we can kind of collect them and have those great questions for the Q&As. And this is gonna be the last one for 2020. So. Uh, we'll be back in 2021 with more Ask Nick uh, Q&As and also kind of expanding this live stream into uh, something more. So details TBD, uh, but uh, all that is coming in 2021. So thanks as always for watching and uh, we'll see you in the next video. He asks, are composers, arrangers, players, improvisers, etc., today better than those from 10, 50, 100 years ago? Um, I don't think so. I think, uh, I see you there, Kyle. I'll, I'll hit you next. Um, I don't know if composers are better. I think that things change over time and the style changes over time and somebody's really good at like a certain thing. Like I'm not good at writing traditional bebop tunes or I couldn't write a symphony that was going to be as good as any of the people that write symphonies, right? So, but I can write like jazz tunes or I could write interesting music that sounds like me. So I don't know that arrangers, players, improvisers, I think there's more tools now that people can do it faster now. Uh, I mean, just the advent of technology of um, like, uh, what do you call it? Finale, Sibelius, like all that allows you to make a lot of more music a lot faster than having to hand write it all. It saves hours and hours and hours. Um, same thing with, you know, movie scoring and all that kind of stuff. Uh, being able to have logic and Pro Tools on your own personal computer, all that stuff allows so much more creation than there ever was before. So I think that um, that is a huge part of it, that uh, people can make more stuff now a lot more easily. Um, so I don't know. Composers, Rangers, I don't, I don't think they're better. They're just different. Uh, improvise, I think there's also a, a higher level of mastery of instruments at a younger age, maybe, uh, than there used to be. But also now it's kind of diffuse because a lot of people are doing a lot of different things and not people aren't like totally engaged in music in the same way as they maybe were at a different point in time. Like everybody doesn't have a piano in their house anymore. Um, you know, I grew up with a piano in my house because my mom valued that. But, you know, having something like that in your house just brings music into your life in a different way. So, you know, people used to have people over just to play and even at the holiday times, you know, playing Christmas tunes and just somebody could play some bit of piano, you know, and that, that's not really a thing anymore so much. But um, so anyway, I don't know. I don't think they're better. I think they're just different. And I think people get better faster 
these days than they did before. That's what every generation seems to say. Older, older generations like, man, these kids are getting better and better, younger and younger. Just because of YouTube and things they have access to like high level of musicianship, they can see and hear what's happening at a really early age. And then it allows them to get better faster, like especially on instruments that you can learn by yourself pretty easily, uh, like piano or something like that. I mean, obviously there's a lot to it. I'm not trying to say that uh, it's like easier or anything. Kyle's one of our bass trombonists at UNT. He wants to know my favorite movie. Um, my favorite movie. That's a good question. I don't, I'm not a huge movie person. Um, just because I don't know, I don't really like watching the same movie over and over again. It's not really a thing I like to do. I've been getting, I said during this time, this break from, from, um, teaching over December, I was going to, I got Disney plus so I could watch all the newer star Wars movies. I was big into star Wars when I was a kid. Um, I have to say I probably didn't like it as much as I would have used to, but I enjoyed it. I watched all of, uh, which one was it? Like the third one of the third series of Star Wars movies. I watched that and then I watched all of The Mandalorian. So I'm, I'm kind of cut up. Uh, I would say that Star Wars is, you know, a classic. Um, I was big into Indiana Jones and Star Wars and those type of movies. Rocky. Those are like big ones in my mind. I like I like things that tell a story over a longer period of time. So I've gotten into shows. I always liked, you know, shows like Breaking Bad and shows like... Um, uh, why am I blanking on the names of these shows? The uh, House of Cards, those type, type of things that get you thinking. I, but I would default mostly to a documentary more than I would default to a movie uh, over, even like scanning through Netflix or whatever. Like I'm, I'm just not that much of a movie person. I don't know why, but uh, yeah. Sorry, Kyle. Wish I had a better answer for you. How to critique solos. I have a hard time telling apart solos from the greats versus semester one at uni, for example. Um, well, I think being able to critique somebody else's solo means you have to be able to critique your own solo, first of all. And if you can't critique your own self, um, that's be probably because your concept is not strong enough to compare it to anything. Or your concept of an understanding of like the history is... Um, not fully there and also i think a lot of times we focus on the what and like what notes do i play what rhythms do i play rather than the how which is like how should it feel how should the swing go how should this note be accented how should this note feel when the audience hears it how does it create a great phrase you know so i like to like a b stuff and like i mean like play curtis fuller and then jj like, what's different you know, and really think about the details of the how, because that's what really sets players apart is the how, not the what, because the what is, I mean, you could go to any million of books and learn all the scales. You can learn all the theory you want, but that's not going to teach you how to play this music. You know, that's not going to teach you how to really uh, understand it. So focusing on those things and then getting yourself in situations where you have to critique people or critique yourself. You know, I would always practice on yourself. Uh, I like to always observe teachers and how they, my teachers, I mean, like how they would offer cr criticism. You know, there's different thoughts about, you know, the compliment sandwich or something, you know, you say something nice and then you give a, you give some criticism and then you say something else nice, which is, a nice way to deliver something. Some people really hate getting stuff like that. Some people really just want that direct, like, hey, fix this, you know, or like, hey, work on this. Um, but 
if you're just listening, you know, it's really the context of the how and like the the maturity of their musical taste is a big one. Um, that's something you can't really teach and it must be developed over time uh, through listening. So if you're a person who doesn't listen a lot, you're going to have some trouble. You know, I've had students that come in for a jazz major, but they have no interest in listening to jazz. And, uh, and, that's, and I mean that as like a wide variety of music that maybe some people would exclude as jazz, but I'm just saying like any sort of improvisationally centric music, uh, they don't really even listen to that. And uh, so I don't know. Uh, listen and uh, you gotta that's how you get better and the better just like practicing you got to practice teaching you got to practice giving people helpful criticism because it's really easy to just say oh, I don't like how you play but it's like there's many ways to play that are good you know and it might not be my cup of tea but I try not to exclude certain ways of playing as just being bad because I don't like it right because just because I don't like it doesn't mean it's not good but there are things about somebody's playing that you can always say, hey, have you thought about this? Or have you thought about it this way? Or have you thought about this shape or this sound? Or like maybe the melody is telling you that there's a flat nine in this bar. So maybe don't play the natural nine. So sometimes you can do that. But it's all about developing your concept and developing your ear in a way where you're able to hear those things. Do you like Brazil? Yes. Um, I haven't been, but I've been checking out a lot of... Choro music because Anat Cohen, who I play with, she is super into um, and has always been to, into Brazilian music. She's down in Brazil, I think, still um, in Rio, I think. But um, her, she gave me some records to check out. And I, we play a bunch of some Egberto Gismonti music. And they, her and Vitor Gonzalez, who plays accordion in that band, they play a lot of choros like just on sound checks and stuff like that. So I've been getting super interested in it. I don't know a lot about it. I know Raul de Souza is a great trombonist in that, from that country, from Brazil, you know. And so I want to learn more about it. And so I've been listening to some stuff. Um, man, I, I wish I could remember what it was. I have a whole playlist of stuff that I could, that I've been listening to that's uh, Brazilian. So it's super cool, and I want to get more into it. But the short answer to your question is yes. We drink coffee and play at the same time. Yes, coffee always. Um, I'm. I've never been too careful with horns. Um, I've, to my detriment, I'll say that, to my detriment, I'm not advocating that you should not take care of your instrument. I'm just saying that I never have, like, not done something just because I'm playing or not had a certain drink. I don't drink soda, so I don't worry too much about sugar going into my horn. But, uh, I, yeah, I mean, I think my, the thing with me and coffee and anything really is that my body chemistry is so acidic like my hands eat through the metal regardless of what i do so i've stopped um caring because i know that like my hands are going to do just as much damage as my breath <laughs> so i clean my horns you know regular try to be clean them regularly and stuff like that but um i don't know i mean i've never stopped but yeah it's probably bad it's bad to get like sugar in there because the sugar will eat it away or like the sugar will um, develop into like yeast and nastiness and grossness. So be, I'd be careful of sugar getting into the horn and food getting into the horn. Um, so do you think free buzzing or mouthpiece buzzing is a worthwhile practice technique? If so, how? Okay, so I did a whole video on this if you want to find like a long answer. What's up, Kevin? I got your question. I just pulled it up on, uh, on Facebook, but he just joined the Instagram stream. 
Um, so I did a whole video on mouthpiece buzzing, free buzzing, and it's, it's like five mouthpiece buzzing tips or something like that um, that I made like two years ago and I posted. My general thoughts about it is I go back and forth. I think a little bit of buzzing is a good thing in certain situations. Uh, a lot of buzzing I think is detrimental. I am one of the, I'm a person that thinks you don't actually really buzz when you play, but I do think that buzzing does help in certain situations. I do free buzz sometimes. I've tried it, but I find the free buzz is not in the same place as my aperture for when I actually play. So that's that requires kind of a good amount of self-awareness and uh, self-observation about your chops. You want to come on the live stream? Um, you have to have a good self-observation about your chops and kind of know how they work to really be able to do that effectively and know what I mean when I say like, yeah, it's a, like it's buzzing in a different place, the free buzz. And of course, I'm trying, you would try to get it in the right place. But um, I've just seen too many people go down the buzzing road and then they kind of mess up their chops pretty good. So for me, I use it as a tool. Um, I always use the piano to keep the pitch centered on the on the buzzing. I always try to do it softly. I always try to do it in a relaxed way as much like with a little resistance so that like a finger over it so that there's a little bit of resistance. So if you want to do it, that's what I would send you my video. Just type, just Google or on YouTube, Nick Finzer uh, buzzing and you'll find it. It's more detailed about that. But um, I do think it's worthwhile. But if, for specific things, for focusing your sound, focusing in the core of your sound, that's what I think it's for. Um, and I do a lot of pitch bends and I do a lot of long tones that also work on that. But um, that's my suggestion about uh, mouthpiece buzzing. How long does it take to forget students? If you saw one from five years ago, would you remember them? Yes. I don't know how long it takes. I can't, I don't think I really forgot my, my private lesson studio students. Um, I think I probably, I mean, at some point, I'm sure that that will happen, that it becomes hard to remember. But the, the, the thing why you don't remember most of the time with younger students is that they don't look the same. You know, like I remember all my students from Florida State. I remember all my students um, that I taught when I was in New York. I remember all the students that I used to teach when I was in Rochester. Um, could I name them for you by name right now? No, but um, some, most of, a lot of them, yes. And if I really thought about it, I could sit down and think through everybody, but, but yes, if I saw it, so five years ago I was teaching at Florida State and I could, I could remember the, those, my private lesson students. Now, if we're talking about a large class, that's a different story. You know, you can only remember so many names and faces in your life and, uh, so maybe a little sooner on that front. How often do you practice classical music? Uh, I would say I practice classical music or classically oriented music at least 25% of the time. Um, I, technical exercises, I'm assigning duets and I'm assigning uh, Bach stuff and cello stuff and Rochu stuff all the time to my students. So playing through that, those pieces, some of the pieces that they need to be able to do, like the David is a popular one, and you know all the all the classics. It's good to be able to have that technique. You know, um, I don't claim to be a classical musician. I would never put myself up against you know a great classical musician to play a classical piece or something. But uh, I think I think it's really really important to have a good understanding of classical music, and that helps you to play the trombone really well. And if you play the trombone really well, then you can go ahead and play whatever you want when you're improvising. But if you can't have that good technique and that good uh, foundation, it's gonna be really hard to express yourself 
in jazz music and improvisationally. And I really, I really think that they're links. And I didn't necessarily when I was in college at Eastman, and I had to take classical lessons for two years and blah, 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 blah. But really, it's super important. Think about Wynton Marcellus, great technician of the horn, played the crap out of classical music because it gives you the freedom to express yourself in jazz. Uh, not because classical music is like better or anything like that. It's just the pedagogy is longer standing and the pieces address more specific things than when I just say, play whatever you want when you go to improvise on On Green Dolphin Street. You know? So it's a better pedagogical tool a lot of the times to work on technique, sound, all of that kind of stuff. Then you try to transfer it over to jazz. But uh, those classical books, Arbins, all of that stuff is super important. And it's really, to me, it is a function to, it, it serves a function to allow you to freely express yourself uh, as an improviser, as a jazz musician later on. Uh, he says, with the rise of albums being funded through Kickstarter or GoFundMe, do you think that there's any chance for younger musicians to profit off of their work? Yes, I think there's plenty of ways to profit off of your work. Do I think a label is going to pay you for your album? No, I do not. Kickstarter and GoFundMe are just a way to give you access to some funds to get started, you know? Um, there, there is plenty of ways to profit off of your music. You do have to be creative in what you do. If you're just going to make something and put it out there and expect people are going to come and find it, you're going to be in trouble. You know, you have to. We were talking about this a little bit last week about what entrepreneurial skills uh, are people missing, are young musicians missing, and they're missing that you got to go and play or sorry, go and do these projects. You have to go and see how much money it costs and how you get it out there and how maybe work with a label like you know ours that is really like a mission of ours is to serve musicians who are starting out. You know That's why we have a label called Next Level that's part of Outside of Music that's specifically for getting people's first records out, teaching them how to do it, helping them fundraise, all that kind of stuff. So uh, it's a really important part. And you gotta get it going, you gotta get it out there so that you can get on to the next project. Because that first one is always, there's always a big barrier to entry. My first record, you know. Uh, but it's not. It's the first in many, you know. It's the first recording of many if you're building a long-term career. I mean, if you're just like, I'm going to make one record and quit, then yeah, maybe it has more significance. But in terms of long-term, you've got you've to uh, pace it out. You've got to take your time and uh, get that first one done so you can go. But um, yeah, there's definitely ways to profit off of your work if you're specifically like selling recordings, you know, that may be a thing where you have to be more creative. Um, I just saw something yesterday that I thought was pretty cool, pretty interesting. And it was a company that was making like acrylic plastic. Hey, sorry, it's Duke. Relax. Um, making acrylic plastic, like three by five cards that had like a Spotify code on it and you could put any picture you wanted on there and you just take a picture with your phone and it would launch Spotify so it would take you right to um, the streaming page of your of your music and I was like and this is something I've been thinking about for years like we need a new physical medium that can serve as the replacement for a CD but that isn't the media it's a link to the media so if you can figure it out DJ uh, what that thing is that people will collect you know just like they collect wine or stamps or coins we need people to like want to collect and records you know but a physical medium that translates that uh, f that gap to the digital 
that's the thing that we need, you know, because nobody wants to have to put a CD on or a record on. Well, some people like to put records on, but uh, records are really expensive to, uh, to put out. But anyway, I do think that there's ways for you to profit off of music. You just have to be more creative. Think more, uh, think more about just as creatively about the music and the, as the business side. So as you're trying to find a, a unique way to present your music, there can be, you know, exclusive experiences. There can be non-musical products. There can be all kinds of things, but um, you have to figure out what your audience might want and uh, try to give them something that they'll connect with. That's what I think. But uh, Kickstarter and GoFundMe are both a tool uh, for being able to build your career to get it started because it's like seed money. You know, it's like trying to get an investor to give you seed money to start a business. It's uh, just that first money, you know, you know, because I tell people this all the time. Like if you're starting a business, you're going to have a startup cost and it might be 50,000, 100,000, 200,000, depending on what kind of business you're trying to open, like a restaurant, you have to sign a lease and all this stuff. You're on the hook for a lot of money, but with a, you know, making a record, that's the start of your music business as you, as a leader, you know, putting your music your, out into the world. And so you've got to realize that every business has startup costs. So your record is going to have startup costs and it's okay for you to put money in and lose it on the project because you are trying to establish yourself. You know, you don't have fans yet. So while it might have been the case in the past that record labels would pay people, but they would also take all of your rights and take all of your music and own it like Companies own Monk's catalog, you know, the Monk estate doesn't even own their catalog, right? It's like, and if they do now, they had to get it back. You know, it's like the companies used to take everything. They give you a small advance to make the record and they take it all. So, you know, anyone, it's all good. Like raise the money, connect with your fans. You know, you've, you've got to get the projects out there. Kevin says, Charlie Porter is raising funds now for a new album. Exactly. We're all in the same boat, you know, people need, artists need a little bit of help sometimes. And so what I've always done is, you know, I made, I did a Kickstarter for my first record, took all of that money and put it towards the second record, take every single sale from all of those records. I mean, it's not that many, a couple hundred, right? But it's 20 bucks a piece. That's some amount of money and you put it towards the next one, put it towards the next one. So it's just getting that first one going. So don't be afraid. If you need to do a Kickstarter, do a Kickstarter, but do it creatively. Don't. Don't uh, wait, wait around and like wait for somebody to tell you it's time to do it now because in the end you'll never do it, you know. So just do it. Ask the people, be creative though because if you're just saying that you're going to give people a digital download of an album, it's not super valuable. Like I can get that from anywhere. I can just go to Bandcamp and get that. Like any artist can do that. But what can you offer that nobody else can offer? You know, what other skills do you have? What other interests do you have? What's something you can make? What's an experience you can create? Could it be a live stream? Could it be something else? You know, any advice for returning to the horn after a few months off? Uh, play as many long tones as possible. Start slow and work your way back in. Know that your endurance is the first thing and the range is the first thing to go. So don't try to uh, push yourself, kill yourself uh, trying to push those things. Those, they're just going to be uh, take a little bit to come back. And just focus on the sound, focus on the, the fundamentals. Uh, that's what I always do, even if I take, you know, some time off. Play long tones. Play longer long tones than you think, you know, really. Like, for an hour, I'll play long tones and scales and stuff, just to get reacclimated. Do your Do the, do the routine that you know the best, you know, and to get back into it.
he's an amateur in jazz. Which trombone songs do you suggest? I don't suggest any trombone songs. Just learn some jazz standards um, from people you like, you know. Some great jazz standards that people like to start with. I like things like Take the A Train, you know, Ellington stuff. I like things with simple harmonies to start people off with. There's always the blues. The blues really is not the best thing to start with, That you know, in my opinion, because it breaks all the rules. But um, There Will Never Be Another You is a good one people like to start with. Uh, all the Things You Are, Autumn Leaves. There's about four suggestions for you. But uh, the, big, the biggest thing you need to do is find some trombonists you like, uh, Gregorio, and transcribe them. Transcribe the melodies, transcribe the solos, and uh, play along with them. That's how you learn how to play jazz. He says, can your sound concept and choice of vocabulary conflict with one another? Absolutely they can. And it often happens in the case where people are playing modern vocabulary in a, in a place where they shouldn't be. <laughs> so they're playing like post-Coltrane uh, kind of avant-garde type uh, substitutions like Dave Liebman type substitutions, for example, but they're playing after you've gone with, uh, you know, a traditional jazz band. And so those two things, they don't super mix together, but um, your sound concept and the vocabulary can definitely, because the two things are separate. Vocabulary and sound concept are different and both need to be flexible. So yeah, something will be weird. If you played like a Kid Ori kind of style, but played some Coltrane licks, it would sound crazy and uh, bad probably. But you could also play with like a super dark sound concept in an early jazz style with early jazz vocabulary, and it also wouldn't fit super well. So yes, they could uh, conflict with one another, but you should have multiple sound concepts so that you can play the vocabulary and the sound concept that fit together, de depending on the situation you're in, because you want to adapt as a sideman, as a non-leader in a situation where I'm being hired, I need to adapt um, adapt myself to what they need me to do. So that could be to play with a bright sound, a dark sound, loud, soft, you know, any of those things. So I, my sound concept has to be flexible to what the band leader needs. So uh, you have to be too, I think, to a certain degree, you know. And then he says, follow up. If you have licks from various era styles, do you change your sound to match it? Um, well, it's just like I was kind of saying, like, if you're going to play, I would say the style of the gig, the style of the music determines both of those things. Like, you don't just, like, play an early jazz lick one way and then play, a, like, a J.J. Johnson lick one way and then an Elliott Mason lick another way. You have to kind of combine all those things together to make one concept and then you execute within that concept. But you have to be aware that those different things are... You have to, you know, do your best to mitigate those things and know and be aware and make active choices around you know style and concept and all those things so you want to be f as flexible as possible so i always talk about you know there's the there's literal flexibility in terms of your like lip slurs and stuff like that but then there's also flexibility that comes from musical style flexibility of range flexibility of uh, sound concepts sound um sound and style concept, you know, because you're not going to play a jazz gig the same way you would an R&B gig or a funk gig or a soul gig. You want to have some different kinds of vocabulary. So it's important to have a wide variety so that you can fit into the style because if you're playing bebop changes over like a neo-soul kind of groove, like with no regard to the groove, it's going to sound weird. You know, you want to be able to change your concept of eighth notes to fit with any drummer, for example, because like 
every drummer that's playing let's just talking about swing not even talking about like any genre or all genres it's every single drummer has their ride pattern is you know it's a little bit different and so you have to get in there and match up with that or like the bass player's time you got to get in there and match up with that you know it's not that it's not uh you don't just create a concept and stick with it you you have to be flexible all the time so i hope that helps so if you had to play one type of gig for the rest of your life straight ahead latin modern etc what style would you pick um style i don't know i don't think about music in that way i guess if I, I would be more like if I had to play one type of no I well I mean I guess I could just say it would be straight ahead I guess to just directly answer your question uh, because it feels really good and uh, it's what I love you know it's what how I would how I fell in love with the music you know Duke Ellington Harlem Airshaft that's like you know hits me. I don't know. I like to play people that have a play people's music that has a unique lens. Like if I could play Lucas's music, Lucas Pino's music, forever, I would do that. You know, people that have a real like vibe to their their music. You know, I love playing in a Knotts band. We play all different styles, and that's part of the reason why I like we like playing that band. It covers it allows you to improvise on different sort of concepts and be flexible and be someone that can add to the music. So. I don't know. I like to play original music. That's what I like to do. I like to play unique lenses on the music, whether it's straight ahead, Latin, modern, you know, whatever, however you want to call it. You know, it doesn't matter to me. I want to play, I want to create, help someone create a unique musical experience for the audience. Like they have a vibe and what, it doesn't matter to me what it is so much as that it's a strong vibe. Like uh, a band leader I used to play with a bunch named Bob Stewart, a great Tuba player played with Gil Evans, played with Charlie Charles Mingus, uh, lots of people. Dizzy Gillespie, you know, we had a band that was like a double quartet with a string quartet and tuba, drums, guitar, trumpet, and trombone, and that was super fun too. Like, definitely more on the free side, but definitely then having to be way more organized when we had the classical string quartet. But they also improvise. It was super cool. It was a unique vibe. That's what I mean. Like anything that has like a thing. That's like Lucas Pino's Nana as a thing. It's like, it's building on swing and tradition, but it's modern um, harmony, but it's still like, you know, coming out of bebop and hard bop. So, and a little bit of free stuff in there too. But so I don't know. I like to play with a band that has a vibe, not uh, limited to one, I don't know, style. But if I had to pick style, I guess I would say straight ahead. So how can I become more comfortable with sharing my playing on social media? I'm confident in a live setting, but the permanence of social media. It's got cut off a little bit, but I, I got to know the gist of the question. Um, well, you have to not care so much what other people think, and you also have to present it in a way that shows that you know that you're still developing. Me, same with me. I'm still practicing. I'm still trying to get better. I don't think that the way that I think about something is the only way or that my way is the best way. Uh, you know, with my students, I try to present different ideas, different ways, different thoughts, different perspectives. And then it's up to you to, you know, decide what's best for you. You know, that's why it's like I always try to kick the students out. You know, like they do finish their undergrad, go somewhere else for your master's. You need another perspective. You need another teacher to show you something else. Because I could keep teaching you, yeah, but I'm going to tell you the same stuff. I'm going to, 
you know, maybe not the same exact stuff, but it's like I have my perspective and I'm going to share what I'm going to share. I'm going to try to get you to think about music in different ways, but you got to get out there and get um, different opinions. But in terms of your social media, Ben, um, you know, you have to be cool with people saying you suck. You know, I don't care. Like people hate on my stuff. My colleagues especially, you know, say, oh, why are you posting this? Why are you posting that? Colleagues meaning like people in my age group, jazz musicians, not specifically like a group of colleagues, but, you know, like other trombonists or whatever. And it doesn't matter. That's the thing is like you have to commit to doing what you want to do. So if you want to post a certain type of video, you want to make a certain type of music, whether it's video game music, whether it's classical music, jazz music, original music, you know, you just have to be cool with like I am trying to reach for a certain type of person and I'm going to try to connect with them with this music. That's what you have to do. Who is it for? You know, like who is this account for? If you're just putting it out and you think it's for anyone and everyone, you're always going to have trouble because you're like trying to pander to like a group of people that aren't interested in what you do. But if you can identify everything that you do as who is it for first uh, and then it doesn't matter because anyone who is not in the who is it for, it doesn't matter if they like it or not like it. Like I make content for jazz trombonists. So if a saxophone player is like, what are you talking about, blah, 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 blah. It's like, it doesn't matter, this wasn't for you. Don't watch this content. Like, I don't, why are you giving me a hard time, you know? Um, or people that don't like jazz or don't like trombones. Like, I'm not gonna convince you. I'm gonna play the way I play as best as I can and share my music with you. And if you don't like it, it's like, okay, that's cool. You know, so that's kind of what I think. That's how you have to get more comfortable how you, and how you can get more comfortable. So other ways is just deciding what you're going to post before you post it. Like uh, I make a schedule. I know what I'm going to post. I know what types of things I post. I know when I'm going to post them. And that's part of my job as, as a musician that's trying to grow his audience and trying to grow awareness in the macro, you know. Brian says, thoughts on the Gordon Goodwin Big Fat Band? Um, I think they sound really clean. I think Gordon writes very accessible music. I think a lot of young people... Uh, really like playing his charts and uh, he's a very successful businessman and he's done great with you know being able to write for Disney and I think it fits right in that alley and I think it's super great and I think anyone anyone that can write music that gets more people interested in the in the vicinity of jazz music or the jazz music that I like is a good thing and so um, it's a little more commercial than my music or other music that I like it's not my favorite uh, thing if I had to say list like 10 bands that are my favorite it might not make that list but um, I think he's an incredible writer really inspiring how much he can put out and he writes great for for uh, for film and I can't do that he also plays saxophone and piano I can't do that you know so I think um, and so I think that he's great and yeah that's that and I think they they sound like LA which is a different sound than like the East Coast sound and um, that's cool. Everybody has to have different sounds. So Kevin says, I know you're from the J.J. Curtis and Slide School of Trombone playing. What about the Fontana style? Uh, that's, yeah, that's another, that's one of those things where like when I'm talking with students, like that's not my vibe and I'll be upfront about it. And I'm, and I know that my bias, bias lies in more, um, I guess that would be, I guess you could call it fluid, but to me, it doesn't sound clean. Um, so, so people say, oh, it's so fluid. And to me, I'm like, well, to me, it sounds muddy. That doesn't mean it's not good and it's not impressive. 
he's an amazing technician. He has so much vocabulary, such an amazing trombonist. Like I'm not trying to take anything away from Carl Fontana. And, uh, but there's a thing he does that a lot of students pick up that is, is like a without articulating and they put a gliss in there and it's like to me it's like the whole thing about a gliss is it should to me should be like an effect and to use it in the middle of a line is not clean and clear to me and uh it bothers me and that's just because i want that clarity i suppose um and uh yeah, I mean, there's not, he's an amazing player, but for me, he's not where I would send someone to learn how to play bebop. He has a very a trombone first kind of approach. Like the way it lies is very trombone centric, as opposed to like someone like Michael Deese or JJ is playing the vocabulary first and figuring out how to get it onto the trombone, which is more my um, speed because i'm trying to think like i want to i don't want the trombone to limit me i want to use the trombone in the ways that it can be used but i want to play the music that i hear and that i that i want to play not that just like is easy to play on the trombone which sometimes is the same and i'm not trying to there's no like kind of i'm not like hard and fast with this as a rule or anything like that and and i mean there's great there's great solos to be learned and a lot of things to learn a lot of things that i can't do that carl fontana can do but um yeah, that's not where I send people. But uh, I think that he's like a player, just like I think Rosalino is a player or Elliot Mason is a player or Marshall Jilks is a player that's 100% worth transcribing, getting inside their vibe. But like if you're at the beginning of the journey, I don't know that that's the right thing to start with, if that makes sense. Like you, for me, you want to understand how harmony works, how to execute bebop phrasing you know, on the trombone, at a high level before you try to do all the fireworks, which is like Fontana, Rosalino, uh, and many of the other people that I mentioned. Um, but, you know, there's a huge history. Like, you know, there's someone like Britt Woodman, who was an incredible technician of the trombone. You know, people don't talk about him that much, Ellington Band. And uh, he, he was an incredible te technician, but like, I don't know, not in any of those styles. So there's a lot of styles that go unstudied, you know? So for me, it's really uh, important to try to um, get those basics together, man. Get those fundamentals together. That, and then you, and then, because that allows you to, to be free to, to express yourself. That's what I want. I want to be totally free to express myself. That's what I want for my students. I want them to be, play at a high level that they can do play any gig and that they can function on uh, on a high level and play the music that's in their head, and that's what our that's what my role is as a teacher is to get them, my students or future students, past students, to like be able to play the music that's in their head, you know, and that's hard to do. Have you ever had a teacher try to emphasize his style in a way you didn't like though? Yes. Um, I have had many teachers try to push something specific on me. And that was something that made me want to not do that to other people. Um, I don't, you'd have to ask, you could ask DJ, the, who's on the stream, Agro Bone, uh, if I uh, push my stuff on him. I don't know. I probably do. I, I'm saying like, I can't not be me and I can't not be, that the bias that I have musically speaking is not going to not come out when I make a suggestion about like how they might be, get better back to the criticism question like how to provide constructive criticism you know um you know and yeah there's other teachers that are like way into the fontana thing and 
It's just not my thing. I don't know. Nobody's pushed it on me. But also, I kind of pushed back on teachers. But my teacher was Steve Teray, and he's like, that's he's on that vibe. Like, if I played some Fontana stuff, he would tell me a lot of things. I won't, uh, you know, you ask him. He can, he can tell you. I was learning the drum's been going. It's not going well, DJ. I've, been, I've got a drum set in my office um, a little while ago. And I haven't had much time to practice. The pandemic has led me not to go into school uh, unnecessarily, just for, you know, a precaution and whatever. But uh, I've been trying to learn the drums. I got inspired to try to learn the drums because there's an amazing recording, duo recording of Confirmation. It's Michael Brecker and Chick Corea, but Chick is playing drums. And that I, I heard this when I was at Eastman and I transcribed it and I used it for a project. And I've been, man, I need to learn drums. <laughs> Since uh, 2008, that would have been. I've been like, man, I got to learn some drums. Learn some drums. In high school, I played like marching percussion. So like I got some hand stuff together then, but uh, never got it all the way together. So um, I, I'm trying to get it together, but it's not going It's not going well, DJ. I mean, it's fine. Like I play along with records that don't have drummers on them, like um, the Charlie Parker, that Roy Hargrove thing. Uh, Parker's Mood with Christian McBride and, and Roy Hargrove. There's no drums, so I try to play along. And there's a whole variety of styles, so it gets me to try to play some different grooves. 3-4, some arrangements that go back and forth between 3-4 four, four, four. It's 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 uh It's on three quartets. J-Rod asks, what's the name of the piece with Chick Corea on drums? There's, mo there's more than just one, but the one I'm talking about is from three quartets. It's a version of confirmation. Michael Brecker and Chick. How do you maintain a good energy throughout your day? Even after playing your instrument, I'm getting low sugar and getting cranky after some time playing my horn. Uh, well, I think everybody has to figure that out for themselves. Um, I've been doing intermittent fasting for the last um, four years, three years. Um, so doing something like that might help. Excuse me. It helps regulate my blood sugar, I know, because I don't have the high, the high highs and the low lows. It's kind of just chill all the time. Um, but I don't know if that makes sense for anybody else. I just experimented with it because, uh, being on the road a lot, there's not always a lot of healthy options to eat. So I just figured that it was actually easier for me to just not eat at all, uh, and get used to not eating at all. Um, and it, it was, it's been great actually, uh, for me, but it's not great for everyone. And people think I'm crazy. That's like, oh, you're going to fast. You're nuts. I'm like, no, it's just, you don't eat for a little while. And uh, so anyway, so I don't really get hungry unless I eat sugar and, and pasta and stuff like that. Then the next day I get hungry. But um, so to help balance the sugar out, I don't drink soda. I try not to eat candy or cookies and all that stuff. But right now it's holidays. So some of that has happened. So I am hungry today. But like right now, uh, it's almost two o'clock on the East Coast and I'm, uh, I, I'll eat at like four. So... I don't know. That helps. But I'm not a nutritionist, so don't take my advice as gospel, please. Uh, for me and my body type, I have to do a lot of cardio. Um, I used to be a good amount heavier when I was uh, in college at Eastman. I was like 250 or something, and now maybe like 200 or 190 something. I don't know. I haven't gotten on the scale in a while. But um, yeah, and so I just, I know I my, my body type I have to do a lot of cardio to like stay going. I have a slow metabolism and it runs in my family. So um, that, so the one thing I will say about exercise, you have to find something that works for you and that you'll stick with. Cause like 
most people are like 100% and then nothing, 100% and then nothing. But you got to find something that works, you know, that you can do every day or every other day. And I always just tell myself, I got to do it more days than I don't do it. So four days a week, you know, or uh, or eight days out of 14, whatever it is. And always just more times that I'm not doing it. It applies to practice too. I need to practice more days than I don't practice, you know, at a certain point. It's just like, I need to be doing it most of the time. So um, that's kind of how I do that. But you got to find something. But the one thing, I, the will, one caveat I want to say is when that was happening, when I was um, really the first time focusing on physical fitness and health around 2008, 2009, uh, got into you know lifting weights and it did end up causing a lot of tension for me uh, in my neck and it was affecting my trombone playing a lot. And so I noticed that it was because when I was lifting, I was like clenching my neck and it was really not good for um, my trombone playing. So I don't know. Um, I, 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 I just warn people. So people are I'm like, oh yeah, well, just this happened to me. Just watch out to keep the tension, you know, at a minimum. Because at least from my viewpoint and how to play the trombone, you should play with as the least amount of tension possible. So uh, anything that causes more tension to me is like worth getting rid of for me. So um, that that happened. But that I still lift. But when I do lift, I just have to be more careful about making sure to stay relaxed, not clenching like my neck and my throat like when you're lifting or, you know, this way, whatever. But um, so hopefully that might help. Thanks for being here as always, everybody. And I will catch you uh, next year in 2021.